0: you got to just give it another shot. So I'm paddling into this wave. And you know, all I remember it was, it was almost like the, you know, you get these flashbacks of just like, you know, as I'm paddling into the wave in my head, I'm thinking flying headfirst over the falls again. It's very hard to like get yourself back into the mental space of like making the wave when something bad happened like that. So I'm just thinking in my head, I just need to get down the face of this wave. And I remember it was just, it went from the first wave being the most like horrific, just, stuck in the lip to just flying head first to like being connected to the wave, like the easiest drop you could ever, it was like the, the, the polar opposite, the easiest drop you could ever imagine riding to the bottom, make a nice bottom turn off my toes. And then you just see the whole thing like lining up down the line. And I just got to like stand in this giant barrel. And it was just like this perfect, you know, Perfect tube. I, I, I don't know if I would have been able to make it out of it, but just being able to stand in this big blue barrel, you know, and like, yeah, I don't know. It was a really, it was a really cool experience.
1: Welcome to Speaking from Water, episode 39, in collaboration with a classic. Today we have the one and only Jack Acrop. He is a legendary big wave surfer, lifeguard, community man, and podcast host with a classic on our program today. And we're super, super stoked to have him. Jack, welcome. Thanks for having me. Bro, it's so I great to have it. you. appreciate it. Yeah, you come in very high regard from uh, many people. I did my homework on you and uh, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to get, in, get into a lot of different things with you. But uh, first of all, how, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good, man. Yeah, doing really good. I uh, was just up in Mammoth Lakes, uh, doing some Mammoth Mammoth Lakes, California, doing some snowboarding. And uh, I saw that the buoys came up overnight and rushed down to Mavericks about a seven hour drive and got didn't get any good waves, but got like a nice little windy, stormy El Nino session right before dark. And so, yeah, I'm I'm stoked, man. I'm kind of over the moon right now. I was kind oh, of dude. thinking so, just so how bro. cool California is in that regard, you know, like ski. And then the next day you can go ride big waves. And I was like, man, that's pretty cool. You know, pretty special place.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're living large. And you know, I was I was checking out your footage. You're, you're clipping from from your Mammoth Lakes uh, experience. It, it looks like you guys have gotten a lot of weather. It looks like you got a lot of snow from that. How, how was that trip?
0: It was a good trip, man. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad I got over there pretty early because I think a lot of the, the roads kind of closed into Mammoth. We've been just getting these like uh that was i guess like, kind of like an a- atmospheric river so um where i'm from in santa cruz it was pretty much just torrential downpour and and uh ri- rivers breaking out flooding so kind of kind of escaped that and i was just in the fun light powdery fluff instead
1: <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah, I overall good trip sick i understand you're coming off a uh, achilles injury is that is that right
0: yeah yeah i tore my achilles nine months ago so how are you feel it's gotten a lot it's gotten a lot better yeah snowboarding was kind of the last the last test because that's that's what i that's how i originally injured it was snowboarding so to get it back out there and it's still a little sore and funky after like a long day of riding but but it's gotten a lot better so
1: what's it's your method coming? on the mountain are you are you a, a park guy or backcountry like what do you what do you love so I used to I used to kind of like both. I used to really love the 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 park, and that's actually how I
0: got injured last year in Mammoth and during the springtime. So I don't want to say I'm completely done with the park, but I'm starting to kind of set my sights on you know backcountry stuff and and powder. I would definitely say like powder riding is is more my passion, and it's a lot you know lower impact on the body. So <laughs> what,
1: what what did you do to injure yourself in the park?
0: Uh, I was just hitting. I was just hitting the jump and I, I missed timed the speed. It was kind of a slushy day. So it was, it was really slow. So I kind of overcompensated and just went really fast and I overshot this jump and just like landed down past the landing on the flats and just completely blew out my Achilles. So. Bummer bro. Yeah, it was a bummer. So, you know, I look at that and I was like, I don't really want to spend another nine months out of, out of the water and
1: off a of snowboard so maybe maybe we'll just go go easy on the park riding well congratulations on uh, re-engaging the monster and coming out healthy and then going into a new a new monster there in, in Mavericks uh what what was that session like coming home recently um so yeah it was a
0: like I said you know the buoys kind of popped up and it was kind of hard to gauge this was like one of the outer buoys you know maybe 20 hours away or something but I, I saw that you know it wasn't going to be anything like anything huge but it was going to be breaking and and you know i always get the the fomo as soon as i see that there's any sort of swell at mavericks you know it's a pretty it's you know it's right up the road from my house you know i mean you know i mean not super close but about an an hour away so close enough so i kind of drove down uh like i said it takes about you know seven hours so i was just kind of chomping at the bit to get there just freaking out watching the camera as i was driving i was like wait i can't be doing this and then uh i got there and it was just two of my friends out there, and by then the wind had completely like blown the thing apart and and it wasn't a great session, but I, I, you know, I paddled out right before dark, maybe 30 minutes before dark and got one wave and um, California dream, man. Even even though it wasn't, you know, the most Epic session, it was like, it was cool to just be riding snow and then
1: come back and be able to go,
0: go surf. So,
1: so looking at your history, bro, like looking at your history, you've uh, you've got a, a crazy life going on. You, you first don't really get into surfing, from what I understand, until you're like twenty. Is that right?
0: So I was yeah. So I was a boogie boarder until I was about eighteen years old. So I, I was always kind of in the water, but I was more into like land sports, playing baseball, soccer. Um, you know, I, I boogie boarded and whatnot, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't get get into surfing until I was about eighteen years old. So I think so, that's kind of it's kind of. Uh, lit a fire underneath me though you know just understanding that i'm a little bit behind the curve and i think it's <laughs> kind of forced me to, to to work super hard and
1: try to try to um you know make up lost time really well like boogie boarding in australia is huge it's it's not that big in america what what was it that got you in into boogie boarding and you were, were boogie boarding big waves i mean uh santa cruz has just a, a list of spots that that are consequential and from what I understand you, you were out there on the boogie board um what was it that made you uh step away from that because a lot of people when when they get into something like that they get passionate about it they don't really want to go to the stand-up surfing because it's a kind of a different culture well um tell us how that that ride of thought evolved
0: yeah so I, I started out um you know I was always which is pretty interesting I was always uh Really scared of the ocean to be honest. I, I started off doing junior lifeguards, so nippers in Australia. And that was a big thing I did every summer. And then I around the age of five or six, I met my best friend Quinn. We kind of just ran into each other at school. And and Quinn was, you know, just starting to get into boogie boarding and he was real fearless. And so, you know, we started hanging out and I started, you know, spending the night at his house on the weekends and and he would go down and boogie board um this wave first jetty in, in Santa Cruz, it's just like this hollow little wave that breaks right behind a, a set of rocks. And it's kind of the, the perfect spot to, to learn, but also to kind of to hone in on your, on, on boogie boarding. And so, um yeah, I, you know, it's just like this kind of slow progress process from, you know, six years old boogie boarding. And then we'd start, you know, kind of moving the way Santa Cruz is set up. It's kind of, I imagine a lot of places are like this, but you got Capitola beach, which is kind of like the epicenter of, beginner surfing right it's about the easiest wave in town and it's also the farthest in the bay so it's like it's the most tucked away from all the swell and then you just slowly move your way up the bay all the way to the you know what i mean and then it's you know you keep going all the way up to uh, mavericks and and that's another story but essentially you know i i started out at first jetty kind of just worked my way up and then um as i said i was i was doing a lot of um surf life-saving sport so Um, and we can get into a little bit of that, but, um, uh, and I was starting to get really into downhill skateboarding and I was also really into snowboarding. So I've always, I've always loved board sports and it just seemed like the general progression because I was on a boogie board, I was laying down and I was having a lot of fun. You know, I think I I definitely tribute a lot of the big wave stuff to boogie boarding, just getting comfortable, getting rolled around in shore breaks and looking for different kinds of slabs and stuff. So I definitely think boogie boarding had a, had a big part in my upbringing but i was I was snowboarding and I was downhill skateboarding, so it was just this okay, i gotta I gotta stand up now like what what would it be like to ride those same waves but but standing up so that was kind of that was kind of the progression for me really
1: now when when was it that you that you got on the surfboard where where did you start paddling it paddling out there in santa Cruz
0: so same same spot i I remember. You know, right? I think it was right after I graduated high school, maybe. So I was about 17 years old. Um, I went out out to Capitola, the place that I originally learned how to boogie board. And you know, on a on a bigger day, it actually there's a nice left that breaks out there. And I had a, a six nine Pearson arrow that my cousin gave me. You know, when he gave it to me when I was six years old. You know, and I, I probably left that thing was in my garage for 11 years. And finally, one day, I was just like, you know, I'm going to take this thing out and give it a try. And I can just remember vividly, you know, like right riding some nice laughs and I was like, I mean, I hate to say it, you know, I, I do love boogie boarding, but it's one of those things that, for me, at least, as soon as I stood up on a surfboard, it was just like, you no, know, looking back, it was like, oh, my God, the amount of speed you could get on standing up, and, you know, um, like I said, I, I definitely love boogie boarding, but surfing offered a different level of speed, being able to pump and make through those sections that, on the boogie board, you were just getting stuck behind, you know, so for me, it was like, well, this is, this is it, I'm going to surf now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the, the aesthetic of surfing is is so different than the aesthetic of bodyboarding, and our, uh, we had uh, Ryan Hardy, the the big time nice. bodyboarder, yeah, on the program a couple of weeks ago, and man, he blew my mind. And really, what it, what it was was when you're traveling on a bodyboard, your whole body's feeling the water, and that that's something that really never occurred to me. So you're you're feeling that water, and as a bodyboarder as you are, and a surfer now, as you are, can you kind of contrast those two conceptual aesthetics for us?
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a really good, that's a really good point. So yeah, Ryan Hardy's definitely somebody I I looked up to growing up a lot. I always watched his, that's cool. So you had him on the podcast?
1: Yeah, bro. Like, like he, he hit me right back up and he went deep for anyone who hasn't heard it, go back and listen to it. One of my like greatest podcast interviews, he starts it off with a chant. Okay. Like to get Zen up and he goes into his story and his story is just incredible, but his ability to describe the, the waves that he's, he's been in blew my mind, but that was the biggest takeaway was the sensation of full body of feeling. And, um, this podcast is a really big aesthetic program. And I'm, I'm really trying to hone in on, um, your aesthetic preference in all sorts of waves, tactically, visually. Um, And that's really what I'm getting at with this particular question.
0: Yeah. So I definitely agree, you know, boogie boarding and, and, and body surfing, I mean, body surfing even more so, you know, where you're actually in the waves without a board at all. Right. And you're like a, like a seal or a dolphin. You know, I think Mike Stewart, you know, famous boogie boarder and body surfer kind of explains it best how, you know, you're, you're experiencing the ocean about as pure as, as you can, right. Because you're, there's nothing touching the water and then boogie boarding for me, at least, you know, it adds that extra little bit of um, just an extra little bit of foam so that you you can, you can gain speed, but you're still, you know, you're, you're lower in the water. So, you know, that, that definitely, I'm trying to get, get what I'm trying to explain here, but you're, you're, you're lower in the water. So you're more, it, it feels like a more intimate experience with, with the waves, essentially, um, and then you know, with with surfing, uh, you just you just have a little a little bit of extra speed, even even more so than I guess. Can can you kind of answer ask the question uh,
1: again? Yeah, yeah, bit. bro, bro. Well, I'm let, just let trying. Me... To, I'm trying to get a feel on. Yeah, totally. Like, let's let's downshift a bit because you are in ocean rescue, and I, I I know swimming is part of your background too. So let's take yeah. the wave out of the equation and let's go let's go straight to you creating the energy to move through the water and that that sensation because a, a lot of surfers they don't swim, you know, they don't understand um, that. Thing that the swimmers get and a lot of swimmers don't get the thing that the surfers get and um I, I i guess let's start with first principles of the swimming and like how that water sensation works with flow and um positioning almost like an airplane flies through the sky
0: yeah no that's a good question um i mean i guess i would i would say that um you know swimming is just a very you know freeing feeling i don't I don't know the only the only real I've never really done a ton of swimming in the pool it's more so just been in the ocean you know like open ocean swims or or you know body surfing and stuff like that but um I would definitely say I mean you you know as a swimmer you have and a body surfer you have a lot more drag right because your your body's in the water so you're actually you're going quite a bit slower in the water but you're also you know feeling feeling those water molecules with your body um, a lot more Um, and then you get onto, you know, a paddleboard and you've got, you know, just obviously you have a, you have a piece of foam underneath you. So you're able to go a little bit faster. Um, as far as getting into flow though, yeah, I, I, I definitely think, um, you know, like people get the the runner's high. I think there's definitely a, a, a swimmer's high as well out in the water. And for me, I guess the the main experience for me has just been, especially out in the ocean, you know, when there's, when there's sharks and there's, and there's, you know, obviously a lot of big fish and (laughs) especially around here in Santa Cruz, it's just a very, uh, it's a very freeing feeling to be swimming. It's, I mean, it's a little creepy, but it's also, I mean, there's been days where I've just gone out on swims, uh, specifically just to like. You, you just feel very small, like in this big fish tank, right? And you feel almost, almost naked, so to speak. So I guess that would be kind of the sensation really from swimming is like this, it's like, there's, you have, you have no protection between you and whatever's underneath you. And that's, Um. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's exactly like an, an adrenaline rush, but it, it kind of is in a sense, if you go, if you go out far enough, you know, you kind of just in, in each swim, you know, you're like, well, maybe this will be the last one. but yeah yeah. um, it's just a very yeah it's a very freeing feeling you know being and then you know I guess once you add the paddleboard the nice thing is that you're still you know you have a little more protection so you feel a little more comfortable in the water and you can also travel a little longer distance right so I think that's why paddleboarding's so exciting is because instead of You know, I mean, there's people that can swim 20 miles, but that's going to take you far longer than if you're on a paddleboard or if you're on an an outrigger canoe, or if you're on a surf ski, you know, you start to, you know, you get these different crafts and you're able to go faster and and gain more ground. But um, yeah, they definitely all have their own sensations. I think swimming, the nice thing is just being fully immersed into the water and actually feeling like one of those, you know, sea creatures. In a sense, right? Like you feel a part of the water, as opposed to being on top of the board, and you're you're a part of the water, but you're still on your own separate craft. Does so that kind of make sense?
1: Absolutely. It, when, when was it that you really got into your your uh, life saving?
0: Um, as far
1: as the, the, the organization goes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I kind of I I grew up doing it. My my sister was in junior lifeguards, so I was I was around down here in Capitola, there's a, we have a big program, you know, thousand kids every summer. Um, so, I'll, you know, I was watching it when I was three and four years old and then you can start here when you're six. So I started doing, doing junior lifeguards. And right from the beginning, Capitola was really well known for their, their competition side of, of um, the sport. So, you know, beach flags for people that are familiar, um, you know, we didn't have a ton of you know runs from runs um it wasn't quite as big as it is in Australia like there wasn't many people doing the the ironman and and stuff like that but um I was really into like beach flags I was always kind of a land animal in the in the beginning at least and then so I did that program all the way until I was 16 oh, until I was 17 that's you know captain's core and then you know I took maybe 5 or 6 years off I st- I I went and I didn't get straight into lifeguarding. You know, a lot of kids will get right at 16 or 17. They'll get into actually like working on the beach or being a junior lifeguard instructor, depending on which agency you work for here in Santa Cruz. Um, But I took, you know, five, six years off. I went and worked in concrete and construction. And then I started teaching surf lessons. And then my friend Tyler offered me a job down in Capitola when I was probably 24, 25 years old. So yeah, seven years after And, uh, and, and that, that's kind of what started the whole lifeguarding experience. You know, I, I did three summers as a, as a seasonal, just junior lifeguard instructor. And, um, after that I transferred over to, uh, state parks. And so, so there's three agencies in, in Santa Cruz, there's Capitola, Capitola beach, then there's state parks and state parks kind of governs. You know all of the all of the state beaches in santa cruz so it pretty much covers the biggest range of beaches and then santa cruz city which covers like the boardwalk beach and that area so i got i got in with state parks and so this will be my third year as a seasonal working working for them
1: beautiful and yeah. you you did the competitions pretty consistently until 17 you know you took a break and are you are you back on the competitions I'm trying to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean the goal the goal is definitely to um I mean there's there's quite a few there's probably 6 7 I don't know there's there's quite a few competitions here in in California. I'm just I'm just starting to realize. I know there's regionals, nationals, those are the two, you know, really big ones. Regionals being, you know, the California coast and the nationals being all of the all of America and that's usually held on the East Coast, although it was held in Southern California a few years ago. then there's a couple kind of underground competitions, the South Bay Dozen that LA County, LA County lifeguards put on. Um, And then a few others, I think San Clemente Ocean Fest. And I'm starting to realize there's a a ton of these different competitions all over the place. Uh, The problem's always been, you know, especially working with state parks. Um, As I said, this is my second year. Well, I, last year with the Achilles injury, I was out and the year before I had some issues. So I didn't actually work a ton as a, as a state lifeguard yet so you know the talk this year is you know that i've got to kind of learn some more of that operation so that's where it becomes tricky is you know like we're definitely in california we're in need of lifeguards so it's pretty sometimes it's hard to like take off days to go and just go and compete you know to justify that so but um i mean that's the goal i would love i would love to get down and do some more competitions yeah, yeah, so like
1: in Australia, you know, it's a pro sport that you got the NutriGrain Ironman series, and again, this is running. Uh, we're we're doing this simulcast for the a classic, which I know has a large Australia audience. Uh, for those listening, like California sounds like it has um, more options for competitions. I'm here on the East Coast. I'm I'm part of my local beach. Also, we did a uh, nationals yeah. last year, got first. So yeah, that's pretty sick, right? And uh, did you guys and, get first? Yeah, yeah, we got Which first. beach
0: are you guys at? Uh, Wrightsville uh, Beach Wrightsville okay that makes sense are
1: you, are you familiar yeah yeah absolutely oh, sick yeah you know you know uh Mo Peacock uh, I know the name
0: for sure yeah yeah
1: so he's like four-time beach flags national champion uh okay. went to worlds yeah he, he's uh he's one of our local dudes but yeah we, we've really been focusing awesome locally man. here on building our team up and uh regionals like is a huge huge thing but um it's it's not huge in America and uh my my question to you on your side of of the country is like why why do you think it's not as big as it is in australia like why do people not care
0: man that is a that is a very good question
1: Um, because it's so it's so cool it's so positive the events are exciting like you watch a nutri grain series They, they they publicize it on all the channels and um it's you know the iron man is a great event it's fast um yeah, well, well, I think you could,
0: I think you could pack, I think you could pack beaches in California and like, and, you know, if, if there was more awareness around it, I think Australia is just really good about, um, I mean, it it well, at one point or now, isn't it the national sport or it was the national sport at one point, surf lifesaving? I'm pretty sure it's like that big and, and, you know, like top, top competitors are actually like earning livings off of it. Big, and big making money. money off of yeah yeah so it's you know it's like it's like celebrated like baseball or basketball yeah. so i think maybe just you know it's just a matter of of you know awareness around it um definitely in santa cruz it was always you know ryan buell who runs you know or founder of buell wetsuits he was a big surf sort of life-saving competitor so growing up i'd always heard of like him and and matt hoffman's another one he was my junior guard instructor and nick hannah and there's you know so there was for for us it was if you were in the community of if you were doing junior lifeguards you heard about it but other than that it wasn't it wasn't super big so i'm not i'm not exactly sure but i i really hope that changes over time because you know it is like you said it's an it's an amazing sport you know the beach flags the uh, you know one of my favorites recently and i haven't gotten into this is the um is the uh, the dory boats so the you know the American Ironman, and I know that's big on the East Coast, right? Especially well, it's, that's it's kind really of it's really where... big
1: up, up north, um, the New okay. York, New Jersey. Like New I, okay. I, I, I did nationals this past year, and we don't have any dory boats, and we're we're all watching these events, and it it was like knee high shore break, yet these boats were just crashing. One girl went to the hospital. It's the gnarliest thing. People don't even like get how gnarly <laughs> this sport is. And um yeah, mad respect to the to the Dories because I have no desire, but like surf ski, love the surf ski, the Ironman, but like Dories, woo. is it is it big where you are? Because I saw a lot of people in California on at Nationals like really into it. Like they they truck their boats across and like 18 wheelers. Do you see it?
0: Yes. So I think it's it's definitely a lot up in northern California, not so much. Um, I think I mean usually the farthest. From my experience, though, the farther south you go, the more, especially L.A. County. Yeah, L.A. County. That's kind of know. where it's really big. They have a lot of dory boats. And then yep. some of the state state park beaches down south have the have the boats. Um, I don't know if that's exactly, it might be, honestly, one of the reasons might be it's just so cold up in Northern California. So the farther up, <laughs> here you go. Uh, especially Santa Cruz is like, Santa Cruz and then Half Moon Bay are some of the last lifeguard agencies. And, and then, you know north of that you start getting into like cal fire who's actually running water operations there's you know there's mendocino county state parks but i think it's just so cold up there that a lot of them aren't really focusing on on surf living life-saving sport unfortunately because there's there's probably a lot of there's probably some good athletes up there that would you know kill it down here
1: yeah (laughs) kill it down uh... south but like, Do you notice a cultural difference between the lifeguarding core and the surfing core uh, is it, or, or are they merged where you, where you are?
0: So they, as far as I'm concerned, they used to be very well merged. Like I said, Ryan Buell with Buell wetsuits. Um, he, you know, him and, and like I said, another guy, Matt Hoffman. Um, there's a, there's a few other, there's a few other people I'm kind of blanking on right now, but it used to be, from my understanding, the surf lifesaving up in Santa Cruz, at least, was a way for surfers to stay in shape during the summer, which is what I've always used it for. You know, the waves get kind of small. There's, there's south swell. So we do get waves up here in Northern California in the summer, like often. But there's also long periods where it's just flat. So it's, you know, either you stay out of the water and you get out of shape or you, you know, surf lifesaving is the perfect sport. You know, it's a lot of running, a lot of beach calisthenics swimming paddling so that by the time the, the waves come back around you're you're already in shape so for us it's it's definitely been ingrained i think we've definitely lost that over time and there's a few there's, it's actually really cool there's a few organizations now starting up a few a few clubs rather so that we have the basically in, in santa cruz you have the east side and the west side and then so uh one of the i believe one of the parents of the um upcoming junior junior lifeguards and now lifeguards started the West Coast uh, West Side surf lifesaving club and then one of the other dads started the eastside surf lifesaving club so it's there's kind of a uh, there's a resurgence I should say of of surf lifesaving sport coming up in the next generations and I really hope that kind of um, sticks around and and people start to you know gain awareness around it but, yeah, definitely growing up it was it was really intertwined. I think now it's a lot different a lot most of the surfers don't do surf life saving and vice versa so
1: that that's too I mean, what I've noticed yeah, here on the east Coast and uh, speak to the positivity of it all because it is uh such a positive thing
0: yeah this, the positivity of it I mean, I mean one, it's you know i I don't know i've I've got I've I've gained a lot out of, out of, you know, being a, being a lifeguard, even in the the short amount of time I've been doing it, you know, it's just, it's such a, it's such a uh, positive thing. You know, when I was down at the, the state state parks tryouts, you know, it's an 80 hour Academy down in Southern California. And uh, one of the, you know, the OGs of the organization came in and talked about how, you know, lifeguarding is such a beautiful thing, because it's like, you know, all the people you know were great swimmers and great paddlers and great this and great that and you know that's all great but um you know as soon as you decide that you want to you know be in service of other people and use your talents to help other people that's when it becomes truly beautiful right and so i've and and you know surf life savings essentially just a in my opinion is, is is a celebration of that you know and and you know a celebration of, of athleticism within a sport of like being able to help people. So it's, you know, essentially these paddleboard races, it's like, how fast can you get out to a victim and rescue them? You know, like beach flags, even, you know, it's on land, but it's how fast can you turn around, assess a situation and go and attack that situation. And it's kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a very unique sport in that way. I don't, I don't, I can't think of any other sport that's really, that's like that, you know, in life really. Um, and yeah it's just a really it's just a really positive thing and you know everyone's everyone it's a very friendly community every time I go down to nationals or or regionals it's always just you know it's all love everyone's everyone's really stoked to see you and it's not it's it's I would say it's a lot different than surfing because a lot of times you go down to go to surf somewhere and people aren't very happy to see you so (laughs)
1: it it is such a contrast there it you know one's very group oriented one's very egocentric oriented and um, maybe that's the great divide but you you are a big wave surfer and the footage I've seen you in is you got great great uh history of, of of big waves under your belt in a short period of time um while we're on the subject of of safety in big water uh how how is it out there for you when, when you're running safety? So that's actually, that's something that I've kind of just gotten
0: into in recent, recent times, to be honest, before it was kind of uh, just paddle out and, and, and go surf. And I, I think, I mean, I definitely always had a safety mentality, as I said, you know, I've been, you know, around lifeguarding pretty much my whole life. You know, I wasn't a lifeguard my whole life, but doing junior lifeguards and just being around that mentality. So I've always had, I guess a, a a safety mindset around it, just around like really assessing things. I would, I would say I'm a very calculated person. I wouldn't, I've never like put myself into situations where it felt like too over the top, obviously in big waves, you know, there's mother nature is in charge, but there's a lot of different ways that you can mitigate the risk, you know, just from like understanding lineups, how far the waves are going to break out, you know, where your hazards are, this and that. So I've always, I've always you know, been very safety oriented. And then it wasn't until I started going over to Nazare. So I've been over there the past seven years. I didn't go this year because of my injury, but you in know, the last six years, I've been going over there to, um, uh, to paddle surf and obviously it's a big, it's a big towing spot, but, um, there's a, you know, if you don't have the equipment, obviously towing, and once you get into jet skis and, and all that, it, it's, it gets a lot more expensive, so it's a lot easier to just paddle off the beach and you can actually paddle from the South side of Nazare around the lighthouse to the front side. And you're not going to surf it on the the biggest of big days, but there's plenty of days in the, you know, like 15 to 20 foot, you know, uh, 30 foot range that you can go out there and you can paddle. So, um, but from that experience, you know, Nazare is a big beach break. So I'm sorry, I'm just kind of going all over the place right, here, right now. But Nazaré is a big beach break, so it's it's um uh, it's very shifty. Whereas Mavericks is Mavericks is pretty user friendly for not having uh your own your own jet ski or like your own partner to to help with safety because there's a big channel. So even if you get blasted, you might go through the rocks, but you most of the time you can get to the channel. Nazaré, you know, you can you can ride right a wave perfectly, kick out, and then the next one's gonna land on your head because that beach break is shifting around and moving. So that's what started to get me interested in, in jet skis. And last year, my, my friends and I got a, got a, uh, jet ski. And, uh, so we started running water safety for each other over there. They'd had some experience driving and they kind of taught me a few things. And then this year I took the state parks, uh, jet ski operator course, or, you know, uh, rescue watercraft operator course, which is how it's, preferred language in in lifeguarding you know surfing jet ski i think rescue watercraft is kind of the 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 best way to uh talk about those but so i took that course and and um so now i've been kind of trading off with my friend a little bit and um yeah it's been it's been a lot of fun it definitely it definitely adds a, a a huge element of safety but i would also say i would also argue too you know with with all of this um you know everyone talks about oh you have to have a jet ski you have to have a jet ski a lot of times to be honest I I feel a lot safer without a jet ski because especially if you if you don't you know it's me being someone who's kind of an amateur like if you don't if you're not really good and even if you are really good on a on a on a jet ski it it adds a different level of of uh danger because you know now you have a big piece of metal in the water that can flop around and smack you and um, you know, I've been out plenty of times out at Nazare and Mavericks and, and, and not had issues, you know, when I'm just with my board, that being said, it can get you out of some dangerous situations. So, um, yeah, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. While we're on the the issue of the jet skis, is there, uh, you know, you, you take the course, uh, I assume you were driving before the course, did the course really take you to another level of, of, um, operator?
0: yeah i would i would say so so <laughs> so my experience in Nazareth, which is like one of the gnarliest places to drive a jet ski right was sort of my friends being like okay this is how a jet ski works couple pickups in the harbor and now i'm running safety in like 20-foot hawaiian surf out there with them paddling and you know we pulled it off it wasn't you know it's i think the nice thing about a, a rescue watercraft is that once you have a good understanding of surfing it becomes a lot easier to operate one as long as you're not making stupid decisions. But the whole idea of like finding the rips, finding the channels, moving your way back out, it's very simple. And now you have a, now you have a throttle where you can go, okay, I want to go to that rip over there. And, you know, a lot of Nazare is just like this because they are these big, you know, triangles. It's kind of just navigating through different, different peaks. And it's actually, you know, depending on the day, it's actually, it's, it's very doable. So that was my experience from, (laughs) <laughs> learning how to drive a jet ski hey jack yeah why don't you run safety for us at the gnarliest wave ever and you know so we, we pulled it off i wouldn't say it was the, the the best thing to do but we we did it and then when i went to the the state parks uh um, operator course it was a matter of you know in the harbor for the first four hours just li- literally learning how to like turn the sled at a do- like get the sled parallel to the dock and then, you know, doing that a million times, then doing that with a deck hand on the back, and then doing it with three people on the two other people on the back. So it was a much different experience. And now I feel obviously I don't like I said, I think I think jet skis is like a it's a it's definitely a lifelong pursuit to get actually get really good with a rescue watercraft. I'm I'm not saying that I don't think jet skis are great. I was kind of referring to the fact that since I was an amateur, it feels safer without a jet ski for for me. But um, yeah, no, they're, they're an amazing tool and yeah, I felt like I got a a really good understanding of how they work and now it's just a matter of, of putting the time in at different spots and getting, getting the timing and, and, you know, you know, talking with the, the local rescue teams, you know, so that you're, you know, you're, you're also not getting in the way. I think that's a big part too is, is, You know, just because you have a jet ski, that's great. But if you go in and try to rescue somebody and someone else does too, and you jam up that area, you can, it just, it it adds a lot more hazards. It's a great tool, but it also can get a lot more dangerous once, you know, you're dealing with all the different moving
1: parts. Can you, uh, a lot of people uh, aspire to, to surf big waves, but we all know you need to put in the time, but you also have to break the seal at some point. How did you break that seal of paddling out to Mavericks the first time? And can you uh, set us up with a little story of uh, how that was and how it was that you decided to to head out there?
0: Yeah. So for me, it was, like I said, you know, ever since I was a little kid, it was always this really slow process because I I was pretty terrified of the water um, all the way until I was like, you know, in my mid teens. And then, um, you know right around 16 17 when i when i was starting to to stand up surf and i was doing all that downhill skateboarding i saw this documentary it was called it was just called Mavericks a documentary and it was by Grant Washburn who's like a super legendary you know one of the pioneers up at Mavericks and uh, i pretty much watched that movie over and over every single night <laughs> and that was kind of the the beginning of my passion for surfing big waves i was riding I was riding big hills at night on a skateboard, and I started to equate that to what that would be like to ride a big wave. So I imagine like, instead of just riding this big hill, mount or this big hill, what would it be like if this big hill had a big mountain of water coming down behind it? And it was just this I guess for me, a, a lot of it really came from visualization, right? Like just like seeing myself in my head riding these giant waves, even though I wasn't anywhere near the ocean. I was on land just kind of a a strange concept, but I think I spent so much time in my head visualizing this that from there, it was just like this, it, you know, it it started to speed up and, you know, I surfed, you know, steamer lane. There's a wave middle peak out there at steamer lane. That's, you know, one of the iconic big waves in Santa Cruz. And then from there, there's a few waves up the coast. And, um, you know, eventually it was, you know, my friends, Tyler and Pat, Tyler Conroy and Pat Shaughnessy were getting into, um, they, they'd already been up up surfing at Mavericks and, and Tyler offered me one day to, to come up on a, on a day where it was real low tide. So the nice thing about really low tide at Mavericks is you don't need much swell. So it was just barely breaking. And I went up and I was with a, uh, had like a seven, eight, which is a very small board just to go out and check it out. Um, it was the perfect and so we, you know, we, we, we went out, went out with his friend. I actually ran into his friend yesterday in the parking lot, which was kind of full circle. Like the first guy I'd ever paddled out with, um, this guy Lawton, I think he said his name was, but, um, we went out and he, you know, he kind of gave us the rundown. We did like a little prayer in, in the estuary there, you know, just prayer for safety and stuff. And it was this really cool experience of like, first time initiation into Mavericks. It wasn't like, Oh, let's go out there and just charge a giant wave. It was like, no, this is like a pretty sacred, special place. Like let's treat it with respect. And, and, you know, we paddled out and I, I just sat on the bowl, which is kind of where the wave, you know, rears up and breaks like the the main, the main breaking point of that wave. And uh, I remember just sitting there and seeing this, you know, this big lump and the way Mavericks comes in, it's, you know, comes out of really deep water so there'll be nothing and all of a sudden it's just this giant slab throwing barrel and even even at that size you know 10 foot faces it was just like horrifying so I ended up just sitting and I don't think I even caught a wave that day and just paddled it in and and it was maybe like two to three years after that that I actually started like going out there and giving giving it a shot so I think it I I definitely think it humbled me at the age of you know I was probably 22 at that time so it wasn't until I was like 25 that I actually paddled back out there. Like give it a shot.
1: So. How old are you now, if you don't mind me asking?
0: I'm I'm 32.
1: Okay, wow. Yeah. And you've, you've covered so a lot of ground. Was, was that? So you've covered a lot
0: of ground. Well, I've, I mean, I've I've dedicated a lot of time. You know, like I mean, from from that point, I think I got really passionate about surfing out there, and um I started dating a a girl who was a journalist over in Hawaii, and we you know i'd go over and spend time in hawaii and started surfing waimea bay and then you know i went down to puerto escondido and spent some time there so it was definitely like this general you know this like like i said the slow progression of so just putting in time over and over
1: you surfed waimea before you surf mavericks yeah wow Okay, t- yeah. uh, t- take me to that first trip to Hawaii. You know, the first time you get off the airplane in Hawaii, for those who haven't been, is just you you smell this air that's completely foreign, and it just fills you up with with yeah. just stoke. So give us your stoke story. Give us your trip out to the North Shore, and give us your first take on your paddle out there.
0: Yeah. And what year was so that it? Was, I definitely agree. Uh, this was yeah I'm not I'm not sure maybe that was that was yeah 2022 probably like that next let's say that next season so I went out to Mavericks at 22 years old so maybe I was 23 I don't exactly know but I do like the way you you describe the the sensations of the smells of Hawaii that's really cool man I because till this day man I've I've been back to Hawaii a bunch of times now and it's just like I I love California I love where I live as I talked about earlier being being able to snowboard and surf in the same day, but there's this there's this sensation of being in Hawaii, just the, that smell, right? It's like, whoa, I'm in Hawaii. Right. And you it's get to the north shore. Paradise. In the, uh, it's the, warm. Uh,
1: the, the roosters are chirping.
0: Yeah, the roosters are chirping. You get to wake up in the morning to hearing, yeah, that's that's amazing. At first, you know, I kind of hated it. 3.30 in the morning, you're like, what the fuck was that? But <laughs> <laughs> but you get used to it, right? And all of a sudden it's just you're in paradise. But yeah, let's so let's talk about just that first time especially on the the North Shore of Oahu coming down that iconic, you know, vista of where you're on on top of the the hill and you're looking down and you just see the North Shore. And I remember thinking, "Oh my god, look at that." I mean, that's, you know, the most one of the most iconic, probably the most iconic pieces of of coast in the world, right? Like the most movies Shot there, you know, it's kind of the epicenter of surfing. It's like the proving grounds, right? The North Shore proving grounds. So I definitely was scared, you know, like looking at that, I'm like, oh shit. You know, it was a, I think the first year I was there, maybe it may have been an El Nino winner too. So I um, can't remember when the last El Nino was, maybe 2000. Anyways. um And so, yeah, it was just this, you know, uh, I guess it's an amazing feeling, you know, coming down into, and, and, and my girlfriend Shannon at the time, she was, um, like I said, she was a reporter. So she worked for, uh, WSL. She worked for, you know, all these different news outlets, the inertia, there was this this online, I think they're still around the inertia on, on Instagram. But so, you know, we were staying right kind of in the center there at her friend's house, right at Rocky point. And, uh, So it was just this you know i'm super grateful for to have had that experience um and just staying right right in the epicenter you know like getting to surf rocky point getting to surf sunset beach you know i think the nice thing about the north shore is there's so much variety so it's not like you don't have to go straight to waimea bay i mean just being in the ocean on the north shore of oahu is like is you know is uh is an experience in and of itself you know you start off surfing sunset beach and you know i I surfed sunset maybe you know what they would call four foot hawaiian you know eight eight foot faces and i remember getting probably probably to this day the most work that I've ever been in in the ocean was a four foot hawaiian sunset which sounds funny you know because people are like but you've ridden like you know giant waves and mavericks and you haven't it's it's amazing that sometimes you know like anyone who spends time in the ocean can understand that it's not necessarily the biggest wave that like sends you the, the biggest deals you the biggest beating right i remember paddling out to the sunset and i'm on my shortboard and my board shorts yeah this is great and the set comes through and i try to duck dive and the thing just absolutely obliterates me and just smashes my face into the board just pinned on the bottom i was like oh man it's gonna be some trip you know you're, so. you're like
1: i need a bigger board
0: <laughs> i need a bigger board because it yeah.
1: doesn't
0: that's the interesting thing about over there is just you know it's coming out of being on islands coming out of open ocean, it's, it's a whole different experience than California, you know, where, you know, swells are, I mean, and there's obviously open ocean waves in California, but Hawaii just feels like a different, different animal. So.
1: Um, so, so did you get a bigger board? Cause uh, you, you say you went to, to Waimea, that's a big step up. Like sunset I did get a bigger is, board. <laughs> I've, I've heard many times people, some of the best big wave surfers in the world, they say sunset's the best wave in the world. And big other big wave surfers have have claimed like uh, there's a guy in New York City, will Scuoden. I remember seeing him in two thousand and six before he really went big. He's like studying. he's like, this is the this is the university of how to ride big waves is sunset point. And um you know, the guys who who uh, uh, ride the most waves at sunset have the the biggest boards. Uh, so you you get a bigger board and um and what happens next? So you get a bigger board and then, uh, you hope you can
0: ride that board. <laughs> so at the time I think I got a web, uh, what was it? A Weber? Maybe. I don't know. I got an eight, six. So I was over there. I think the biggest board I had at that time was like a six, five or something like that. So I got, I mean, obviously I knew if I was going to surf YMA, I needed a bigger board. So I ended up getting like an eight, six, I think. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I went over to, I don't think I ended up surfing sunset beach on, on that particular board. But I ended up going over to Wyoming just on a, on a smaller day. So there's, you know, there's the outside wave at, at Wyoming and then there's the inside wave, which is called pinballs, which is kind of just breaks on the inside, right next to the rocks there and in, in the bay. And, uh, I think I just went out there and rode some waves and, uh, that was my, that was my first experience with, um, surfing Waimea Bay. And then from there, like I said, it was an El Nino year. So it was just like swell after swell. And it was, it was actually like a really nice progression. I think I spent two months over there that year. So I was able to just each day go out a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. And that all kind of ended up with getting to watch the uh, the Eddie Cow that year uh, from the point out there. As I said, my, <clears throat> my girlfriend at the time was a reporter, so she got, she was filming from like the house at the end of the cliff. So I got to watch all the best big wave riders, you know, surfing, you know, 30 foot, 60 foot Hawaiian or 60 foot faces out at Waimea Bay. And, uh, and from there, that kind of just, I think that was, was what really started to, you know, uh, pique my interest in, in surfing big waves, you know? It was obviously so terrifying, but I was on land, just getting to watch it. Going, wow,
1: look at that! That's
0: that's incredible, you know. So, um, yeah, that was that was cool.
1: So, so you paddle out uh, at the end of that that comp in, in, in that trip.
0: So I didn't end up, I didn't end up um, surfing that day because I think it was just at that point it was, I mean that was that was big, you know. That was like sixty foot waves closing out the whole bay. And I had an eight six, which is you know it's a good size board, but it's not really what you want for. Really. <laughs> so I ended up waiting till the next morning. But the next morning there was still some some re- like really big, really tall waves, and I went out first light in the morning, and I think that's when I got my first real big wipeout in big waves. You know I went for, you know, a wave that I thought was good, and the whole bottom just dropped out and poked the nose, flew over the top, got blasted all the way to the beach, and kind of the, the rest is history i was hooked on big wave surfing <laughs> i was like i survived i survived that's, i love uh, this sport
1: it's such a great turning point because some people might at that moment be like all right enough of this i'm I'm headed back to rocky point to shred some uh my six my six five or two whatever you got uh but you were like no i want more of this juice so you, you, the you juice you go then to porto H- how was porto escondido for you
0: uh yeah you know the unique thing about all these different ways is they they all they all have their own faces right so uh puerto was always really scary because you know i'd seen in a lot of the old movies you know a lot of a lot of people drown there and a lot of people have broken their necks there because it's a it's a shallow sandbar so unique thing about puerto is the shallow sandbar so a lot like pipeline where you can you can hit the bottom luckily it's not you know jagged reef but you can hit the bottom very easily and you know there's a lot of neck spinal injuries that happen there um but also the you know since it's a beach break there's a lot of rip currents so just you know getting pulled back out to sea and getting stuck and stuck in one spot so that was you know i think that's the that's the interesting thing about big waves right is it's it's not like this wave's heavier than this wave's heavier than this wave you know i think they all kind of on their own day have their own set of like inherent risks and and rewards and you know to to say that you know mavericks is heavier than puerto which is heavier than whatever i I think that's kind of false you know each each spot is just a different beast you know so puerto is just scary in that regard you know the shallow bottom and then also the the rip current so you know at a spot like mavericks a lot of times since it's a, a point break it'll you know once you get blasted by the wave it'll kind of either push you in and you can go through the rocks which is really gnarly but a lot of times like i said you'll get kind of pushed to the channel whereas puerto you'll you know you'll fall on a wave and you'll get recycled so essentially like the wave pushes you down and then sucks you back out and then pushes you down and sucks you back out And so you can end up taking like 10 15 20 waves on the head over and over, <laughs> and over until until you make it back out or you try to get back to the beach so uh yeah puerto is definitely it was a scary one but I never, I, ne- I didn't surf it, you know, much over like 10 foot faces. So that was a really good experience as well to just go down there and start to kind of feel that water out a
1: little bit. Um, yeah. How, how do you like that? Cause it is, it is almost like a pipeline barrel. It just pitches and, and barrels Um, from your standpoint. um, Do you, do you, uh, do you enjoy that more than say you know a, a Mavericks or
0: yeah I think like like I said I think it's just I think it's different. I, I definitely I I prefer like a barreling wave. I mean I think you know a lot of us surfers and I think the, the 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 ultimate is to get barreled right so any, any wave that has like a nice hollow section is kind of the holy grail in surfing. But that being said, you know there's it's also fun to go straight sometimes on a big wave and just and get (laughs) have to have that sensation so um yeah i I definitely i don't i wouldn't say i have a a a preference really um as far as i think they're all just unique and and fun in their own right you know but definitely definitely puerto the the goal there is to just go and get barreled
1: so that's the that's the fun
0: part about there
1: how's the the culture there the beach culture um in contrast to all all these other spots you've been i've i've heard it's it's pretty chill what 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 is it like on land when you're in puerto escondido
0: yeah my experience was yeah very chill everyone's super friendly um, um i mean I, I wouldn't say all the time but i I've, I've kind of found that like these places with with uh like heavy waves usually have the chillest vibes, you know, that's kind of sounds weird. And I'm sure there's, that's not completely true, but you know, a lot of places like Nazare and and Mavericks and, and Puerto where there's this really heavy energy, it seems like everyone's pretty, especially if the waves have been really good and there's been like a really big session and everyone's just really happy and like almost like stoked, just stoked to be alive, you know? <laughs> instead of just fighting over the little beach break and being like no forget you fuck you this and that it's more of like a there's there's a lot more community around it right because everyone's kind of looking out for each other and people are kind of worried about their your well-being and stuff but but puerto is definitely a a really a really rich culture of of surfing you know and especially like heavy barrel charging individuals and uh, you know this big town there and it's definitely like blown up over the years i think it when my friends were going there, you know, 15 years ago, it was a lot mellower than it is now. Now I think there's a lot of hotels going up and there's definitely like a big, you know, you know, live party scene and, and just or just, you know, a lot of tourists and um but I would say yeah, it's 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 a great place, an amazing place and um definitely a rich, a rich surfing culture there. Where where do you want to go that you haven't been? Where do I want to go? Man, everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I definitely, I'd like to go to Australia and I'd like to go to um, Indonesia. Those are, those are two places I like to go. I think Australia probably first and foremost. Problem is, like I said, you know, at least for now, that's kind of you know June, July, August between running my, my business and through um, lifeguarding is pretty busy busy time of year and that's kind of when I think Australia's that's kind of their, their peak season so but I'd definitely like to go over to Australia and get some do some do some slab surfing over there.
1: What what spo- good, what spots in particular waves. are you are you looking at? Um whew. I think I think just a lot of them man i
0: definitely like some of the big waves I'd love to go over to shipsterns and and Try to surf that wave um, although that would be pretty it's I'd be on my backhand I'm a goofy footer, so um yeah, I don't know i think I think it just that whole area just has a ton of a ton of big waves and you know and plus just you know I mean it's kind of one of the epicenters of of surfing and kind of where you know there's a huge surfing culture over there, so I imagine it's just an an amazing place to to see i don't I don't think you can really go go wrong with any of those spots over there yeah but definitely yeah. ship has been a big one on my radar ship and then there's a couple other slabs that that i've been looking at um that way ours looks really amazing uh scary super scary shallow again different than you know deep water spots like mavericks you're more worried about hitting the bottom and backwash and stuff but uh you know at least to go check them out you know who knows if i'll, I'll end up surfing them but definitely to go over and just see those waves would be amazing. you know.
1: So, so here, I want to, I want to do some slab versus uh, the Nazare kind. So uh, previous yeah. episode 38, we have uh, Matt Dunsmore and I got him on the, on the podcast cause he had just scored ship sterns last week. Okay. So I don't know if you saw that footage, but they got six ship sterns in summertime, which was apparently really rare. Uh, he, he, he kills it. He killed it. And um, I was like, I was getting down to it, and he's like, "Man, I only really like the slab." And I was like, "Well, you know, you're surfing a big wave. It's super thick. It's breaking near the beach." Um, and then I'm analyzing, and I know I'm talking to you a couple of days later. It like, is Mavericks considered a slab in your mind, or is it a big wave? Because it kind of seems like it's like, like both. And then he contrasted the slab at Stearns with, say, the Nazare wave which he hadn't been to he said he wants to check that off his list but like you got you got Nazare you understand Nazare multiple times um I guess what I'm getting at here is like sensation and consequence and uh as a big wave surfer like what tell us a little bit about those things
0: kind of the difference between slabs and, and big wave and
1: yeah yeah so I, so, so for, first of all, I would say
0: I would say Mavericks is kind of a hybrid you know it's a slab in the sense that it comes into one spot and breaks, but you're not typically hitting the bottom. Although there have been some body surfers that have surfed the left that have actually, I think a body surfer broke his leg out there. So it it does get really shallow, especially low tide on the left. So I would say, I would say Mavericks is a slab, more of like a deep, what you call like a deep water slab. So, you know, on the bowl and on a big day, you know, you're probably talking 15, 20 feet of water, as opposed to some of these other slabs where it might be, two feet of water, three feet of water underneath. Um, I, I mean, I'll just come out and say that I, I think slabs for me are a lot scarier. Uh, I'd rather get pushed deep. And, and I know some people are different. Some people prefer the 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 shallow water. Uh, I, I just personally, I would rather get pushed deep underwater and get held down for a long time than hit the bottom. You know, I went over to Tahiti a few years ago, which is, you know, a, a really crazy slab and uh you know every time you fall on that wave you're just thinking oh my god I'm gonna get treat- cheese grated on the bottom and you know to me that's that's a lot scarier it's also it's also it's also a different kind of experience you know riding slabs as opposed to riding you know just somewhere like Nazare where you're you're not really worried about hitting the bottom you're more so just worried about drowning you know so <laughs> Uh, and, and a lot of these slabs too, I mean, like even somewhere like Tahiti or Shipsterns, I mean, you can get held down a long time too. So it's, uh, I don't know. But, it, you know, it's it's also just the risk to reward part. I would say slabs oftentimes have a better, a bigger reward. You know, not, not to say anything against Nazare. I think Nazare is amazing. And, you know, there are certain places where you can get, you know, people have gotten big barrels out of Nazare but like somewhere like Tahiti or somewhere like Shipsterns, you know, you're, you're dealing with a much, a much bigger barrel. So the, for me, you know, the, the risk to reward, the the reward's a lot higher, being able to get like one of those crazy visions in a barrel, you know, like I said, and, Nazare, you can, you can get barreled out there, but it's, it's a, it's a lot more tricky as opposed to Choku where it's just like a perfect tube every single time. And that's what you're going for is that crazy barrel.
1: Yeah. Can you give us the story of the best session that just pops to your mind that you've ever had, where you're like on your deathbed and you're like, "Oh, I want to remember that that moment, that day." And then tell us when it was, where it was, who was with you.
0: Yeah. Um, oof. Think about that one for a second.
1: Yeah. Meditate. Yeah. Best.
0: Best session, man. There's been some. There's been some good ones. Um. Very fortunately, but uh, I would definitely say probably this last year. What was this last last year? Yeah, so it was during the Eddie I Cowswell. I was over in, in Hawaii, and I I went out to surf uh, an outer reef with a friend, Evan, and you know just kind of the stars aligned. His his tow partner at the time had gone over to a different island, um, and so uh, I was staying at his house, and he was like, "Hey, do you want to you know partner up and like." You know, it'll be me, my other friend. And so we'll have two skis and three people. So, and and then also, so four people, two two skis, four, uh, four people. And so it just worked out really good because these outer reefs, you know, I mean, I think one or two people maybe made it to the outside. I mean, it was like as big as Hawaii gets, you know, the, the Eddie cow was running. So Wyoming Bay was closing out and, uh, you know, paddling off the beach would have just been a nightmare. So stars aligned. I paddled out there um and you know surfing this out reef first thing in the morning there's three people out and it's just like dream session, the swell of you know, the huge swells coming through. It's clean winds, which isn't super common for out there. And uh, you know, I'm paddling for this wave and uh you know I just get stuck in the lip and and fly headfirst over the falls to the bottom, and just get absolutely annihilated. So, you know. Not the best way to start off the morning, just <laughs> flying head first through the air, you know, held down two wave hold down, almost drowned and then like, come up my friend, or this guy comes and picks me up, I end up running safety like the rest of the, the morning for everybody. Um, and I ended up not, you know, surfing that spot again, I think we went in and got some lunch, and then we go over to... Um, outside log cabins, which is like, you know, like one of the iconic waves in biggest Wednesday where Ken Bradshaw and, um, you know, a bunch of the, you know, a bunch of the other guys in the Derek I whenever that was. Yeah. Derek Dorner. Yeah, exactly. And, in, in what was that? 1998, maybe that yeah. was. Yeah. yeah. Dave Kalama. El Nino year, Dave Kalama, yeah. all those oh. guys. So I got there and Ken Bradshaw is actually out there on a jet ski. Um, and he's just riding the waves. He's not even, He's not even, um, you know, he's not towing, but he's still, he's driving his jet ski in front of these like 60, 70 foot waves. And it was just this really cool experience to like actually see that wave awaken. I mean, I'm not sure how, you know, how many times in my lifetime I'll actually get to see that. I mean, it's a, like, it's a wave that doesn't break unless it's like everywhere is as big as it possibly gets. And I remember just getting to see my buddy, my buddy Evan, you know, tow into just some, some monster waves out there. Like, I mean, I don't even know how big, but just like probably the biggest surf I've ever seen to this day. And I I was just sitting in, you know, there's a giant channel there. So I'm just sitting on my paddleboard, just sitting there watching him tow into these, these enormous waves. And, uh, yeah, I ended up, I ended up like paddling over to the peak. I didn't, I didn't end up catching the wave, but just like feeling the energy, just being out there, like sitting on the shoulder, watching these just giant waves come through. Um, And then we ended up on the way back. We stopped off at that. The wave that I originally gotten, uh, smashed on, you know, and, uh, uh, there's nobody out anymore. The wind's kind of up and you know, the only wave I'd gotten all day had just gone over the falls and just gotten absolutely annihilated. And so I was back for redemption. Right. You know, I was like, I got one wave and you know, 12-hour session or whatever so I'm sitting there waiting my friend Evan's running safety for me and this you know this perfect wave comes I paddle get to my feet ride this wave and just stand in like the biggest barrel I've ever stood in in my life you know probably like I mean I don't know I don't know what I'd say you know 20-foot Hawaiian like wave big left barrel standing tall on this thing didn't come out of it Board breaks and a half disappears go to the beach that was a wrap, but that was, I mean, I mean, to this day, those, I mean, those, those days are pretty hard to come by, you know, just with like that clean and that big all, all day. Um, I mean, there's been some other sessions, but that was a, that was a pretty special one. And then too, you know, just not ended on the the fact that I got absolutely annihilated, you know, to get, to get redemption. And it was this really cool thing because there's no footage, no documentation of it. Just me, my friend Evan and a couple of the lifeguards were out there. And it was just like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a cool, you know, I think I, with everything being documented these days and like constantly just like footage of it's, you know, it's kind of special to just have a session where there's no documentation. It's almost like it didn't happen. You know, people are just taking my word for it that it happened. I got a good, I got a good wave. I got redemption. And, uh, was that.
1: <laughs> well you, you you painted a beautiful picture there. Uh can, can Thanks, I can man. I get yeah yeah, yeah. Can, can I get one more comment there on on the yeah. drop the drop and then uh when it did eat you up um what was going on?
0: So yeah, I think that so the tide had kind of gotten low at this particular spot. I keep saying this particular spot because it's kind of a secret secret outer outer reef wave. <laughs> not sure if I talk about it, but you know the 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 tide had started to get a little bit lower so it started to get it just felt like it got a lot hollower out there and like um yeah I remember just I my my only experience from surfing out there was literally that one wave I don't think I'd even ever surfed this particular spot in my life to be honest (laughs) so so to go out there on like the day of days and then paddle for a wave and um and then just go, you know, flying headfirst over the over the falls, and just get absolutely humbled. It was definitely like a okay. I don't I don't I don't know about this one. Uh, so when we when we came back from um, the the tow session over at Log Cabins, uh, you know, I was um, definitely nervous, and especially there was nobody out in the water anymore. At that point, it was just, it was literally just me. And then, you know, a couple of the North Shore lifeguards, which was nice, they were like watching over me. And then my friend Evan. But, you know, it's a different experience, at least for me. Like when you're surfing big waves with a big crowd of 20 people, you know, the level of confidence is a lot higher because you're like, you're doing it with people, right? But when you're by yourself, you're kind of, you start to get in your head a lot more. So I'm kind of just paddling around. Oh, that wave looks good. Uh, I don't know. Uh, So I was in my head for, you know, 30, 45 minutes. And finally this one came, you know, and, and I just was like, all right, you got to just give it another shot. So I'm paddling into this wave. And, you know, all I remember, it was, it was almost like the, you know, you get these flashbacks of just like, you know, as I'm paddling into the wave in my head, I'm thinking flying head first over the falls again. It's very hard to like get yourself back into the mental space of like making the wave when something bad happened like that. So I'm just thinking in my head, I just need to get down the face of this wave. And I remember it was just, It went from the first wave being the most like horrific, just stuck in the lip to just flying head first to like being connected to the wave, like the easiest drop you could ever, it was like the the polar opposite, the easiest drop you could ever imagine, riding to the bottom, make a nice bottom turn off my toes. And then you just see the whole thing like lining up down the line. And I just gotta like stand in this giant barrel. And it was just like this perfect, you know, perfect tube. I, I I don't know if I would have been able to make it out of it, but just being able to stand in this big blue barrel, you know, and like, yeah, I don't know. It was a really, it was a really cool experience, but it was just, it was nice to have the difference between, you know, like, cause that, you know, that wipeout could have easily just kind of ruined, ruined it for me. You know, all it takes is like one bad experience. And if you don't, if you don't come back from that you don't like, get back on the horse so to speak like it can it can fuck with you for a while so it was just perfect to have you know it was almost like this you know you know with mother nature you know if you want to talk it in like spiritual terms it's like you know it was like okay you need to respect me i'm going to give you one gnarly beating but then you come back and you're persistent i'm going to give you a reward for that persistence that kind of makes sense and i think that's to me like one of the most beautiful things about big waves is like it can you know it can it can ruin you i mean yeah, the ocean can take your life but it, i think if you come at it with a place of humility and respect and just like you know i really want this like i want to get a good wave it's not about trying to get the fame or the glory it's like you know and maybe that first wave that was kind of the lesson to be learned it's like you know you don't just go out to a spot and just think you're going to turn around and catch the biggest wave ever without like you know paying some sort of dues <laughs> so it was just beautiful you know it was like okay you got humbled okay don't do that again (laughs) and now here's a beautiful wave something to remember and then i'm gonna eat your board and it's never gonna appear again because that's your that's your your price out here i'm taking your board with me i don't know you want to talk in? in, i don't
1: know my my take on it bro you killed that (laughs) hey so like Like, what's the confidence that 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 then then puts in your heart that you can then take with you on land in in all this regard of these big wave situations you're in? Because I I can imagine that the confidence um, lives deep.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's just that like what I just talked about, you know, it's like this. This this idea of, you know. You know. Like you can do anything, you you know, you put your mind to that's, that's the big one I've realized, you know, like when I was, you know, just starting out as a surfer, I really didn't think I'd be able to, to ride big waves. You know, it was like, okay, I'm just starting out at 17 standing up, you know, like, it's going to be very hard to like get into riding riding these big waves. And so it's given me this confidence that like, you can do anything you put your mind to, but it's going to be a process, right? Like, you know, I had in my mind, for example, with this Outer Reefs wave, I had in my mind, like, I'm just going to catch the biggest wave, gnarliest wave ever and just do it. And it's like, no, that's not going to (laughs) happen. You're going to have to put in some work and you're going to have to, you know, start to understand the wave a little bit better. But if you're, you know, if you're willing to not give up, then, you know, you can, you can you, you know, you can achieve anything in life really so i think you know and then you can in in the sense of coming back to land you can take that into into business you can take that into you know whatever whatever things you want to do i mean it's just really it's just about i guess persistence that's the biggest thing i've learned with with big wave surfing because there's and just surfing in the ocean in general ocean's always in charge and so if you're not persistent then you're not gonna you know, you're never, never going to get the reward, right? Because it's going to humble you left and right. But if you, you know, if you just keep, keep pushing and keep, you know, doing your homework and, you know, sometimes these things don't happen overnight. It's not like you just, you know, like you want to be a big wave surfer and all of a sudden you, you know, you catch really good waves. It um, takes a lot of work, you know, and dedication and time. And I think that's just life in general, right? You want to, and 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 it, it always works out. It's like, you know, the the only time you know, like the saying goes, the only the only way you fail is if you give up. You
1: know, so. <laughs> Pillar bro, and like so on land, you you have you uh, your your journalist, you do podcasting. I've I've read your articles in Inertia, um, and you nice. have a business uh flow. Like uh, tell us tell us. I I guess let's start with um how you got into the journalism and um and then we can move on to these other other uh, pursuits
0: yeah so the so the journalism
1: thing i haven't done in a long time
0: that was that was a job i was doing with uh my 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 ex-girlfriend who was at the time was also a journalist for the inertia and she kind of gave me the job of running that so i i wrote a few articles in that one and that was kind of my job while i was over in hawaii which uh super grateful for that experience to have you know been able to like work while I was over in Hawaii, essentially working remote. remote. Um, but yeah, I've always I've always really enjoyed telling stories. I think now it's more so just been on my my Instagram platform. Um, and then yeah, so this is so Flow is my shirt. So this is uh, Flow is actually an organization I work for, uh, run by a guy Nick Hart, good friend of mine, and uh, it's a safe space after school program they do all kinds of things from you know mountain biking um skateboarding and then i run their surf program so and he's kind of who gave me my my start essentially so we started you know and and it's for middle and high school kids in the santa cruz area and, and beyond you know they're trying to expand over time but um you know as far as the surf program you know any kid can just come down and you know we provide boards we provide wetsuits and uh essentially just free surfing lessons, surf and ocean safety lessons down here in, in Santa Cruz. And uh, they're actually who actually, so, so flow is my friend Nick's company, but through flow and through, you know, teaching these surf lessons, I actually started my own company, central, central coast waterman. So central coast waterman is essentially my brand that combines the world of surf lifesaving with uh, surf camp. So, You know, it's essentially a a junior lifeguard surf camp hybrid that I started here in Santa Cruz. I was working, doing both. I was working as a junior lifeguard instructor and I was teaching surf lessons. And just with everything we've been talking about on this podcast, I started to realize there's this, there's a combination between the two. Right. And like, I, I attribute a lot of my success in big waves to surf lifesaving, like just getting physically strong enough to paddle, a paddleboard for that long surf, ski, swimming, um, I mean that was the big training I did so it's now a matter of you know teaching these kids and you know going even beyond that you know Central Coast waterman being able to you know teach kids stand up paddling eventually outrigger canoe and just you know learning this this waterman lifestyle of 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 uh, just enjoying the water you know it's like it's not just about riding a shortboard it's not just about riding big waves it's like it's just enjoying the water on any given day you know as as you know you know that's the beautiful thing about the ocean is there's, <laughs> there's a million different things we can do. So well, that, but yeah, flow, flow, Flo basically, you know, all, all my business endeavors started with flow. So really thankful to, to Nick, definitely, definitely check them out. Um, Flowlovesyou.com is their, is their website. And um, yeah, it's a great, great organization. So.
1: That, that's super beautiful what you're doing and it's, it's cool crazy that that you're you're bringing these two worlds together that we were just talking there at the, at the beginning the uh what what kind of stoke are you seeing in these kids and the uh, the progression over time and do you see these these kids turning into the next generation of of chargers out there
0: I hope so for sure man I definitely see you know I think the biggest the hardest part about the whole business for me has been getting people to kind of conceptualize this idea of being a waterman, right? Because everyone sees surfing and all the kids that I have in my program, it's just like, they just want to ride a five foot six shortboard, And they want to ride that board if it's, if it's this big or if it's this big and they don't want to like expand beyond that. And like, you know, that's totally fine. Like I, I'm, I'm not here to tell anybody, Hey, you, you need to do this thing. But the, the whole goal is to just like, okay, try a pair of fins and go body surf try a paddleboard and go paddle out past the, the buoy out there, you know, try, you know, like all these different things. Cause I, I think for me, at least and what I've been really thinking about recently is like, depending on the day, it's like, if you're, for me, like the other day I was riding a shortboard and it just, the conditions did not warrant riding a shortboard. And so instead of just having this great experience where I could have been on a, you know, a prone paddleboard, or like a, I was thinking that day, you know, a, a stand-up paddleboard. I would have been having so much more fun catching so many more waves, and and also just getting a lot more experience in the water. Right? If you're only riding the same craft, it's like you're kind of limited a lot of times in what you can do. You know, it's like if the waves are completely flat, you could be like, "Oh, life sucks," or you could get a fishing pole and go stand on a stand-up paddle and go fish out in the kelp beds and have a great day. Right? So I I hope that's what I kind of instill in these kids. You know, is just that like you know, the ocean's an amazing place, and it's an, it's an incredible, like, resource to just, like, you know, get satisfaction out of every day, and, um, yeah, def- I've definitely seen it a little bit, you know, it usually, so right now, we're in our after-school program, so, I, you know, summer camp's been my big time of year, but right now, it's after-school stuff, so I work with a few families, you know, around, around, the, <clears throat> around the year, and uh, it's usually the first hour is kind of I've kind of just designated to like waterman training, you know. So we'll we'll do anything from like you know first aid and CPR training to uh you know sprinting, sprint paddle boarding or swimming. Uh so there's kind of you know, I've kind of broken it up into like an hour of that training and then I give them an hour at the end to, you know, focus on whatever kind of surfing they want to do. So that's definitely I mean. I think most of us can agree that surfing's one of the one of the best parts of the ocean. Not the only part, but it is riding a wave is pretty is one of the peaks. So, absolutely. But yeah.
1: And you're you're, you're, te- you're no. teaching. yeah, sorry. You're you're teaching eternal truths that a person like yourself who's done the time understands, and uh, the kids the kids don't know these truths.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. They, I think they, and, and like I said, you know, rightfully so. I was the same way when I, you know, I started boogie boarding. You know, my dad was like, oh, you should try surfing. And I was like, no, I was so set on this, set on this boogie board, you know, set in this one way of boogie boarding. And, you know, I mean, even to this day, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, I, majority of the time I like to ride a shortboard. I mean, it's just kind of how. but I think, I think, you know. Just getting out in the water and enjoying it every day is, is really the key, you know. Even even today, there's no waves. It's kind of stormy, but you could get out there on a paddleboard and you know get your workout in or whatever. So,
1: dude, yeah. So like before we conclude here, you've just totally crushed uh, an hour and twenty minutes. I'm inspired. I know everyone listening here in the future is just going to be they're they're percolating. Um, before we conclude, I got two more questions for you. Uh, you are a yeah. uh, you're a classic podcast host. Uh, i I'm dabbling uh, with a, a classic as you know, this is going to be um, broadcast on on their channel as well. Um, how how do nice. you view podcasting and uh, what's kind of your method and t- t- tell us your kind of um, your eternal truths that you've learned as a podcast host?
0: Yeah, well, I mean it's, it's definitely still super fresh to me, but um, you know Dan Dan reached out after we did our our I did a podcast on a classic and uh you know he asked if if i wanted to kind of stand as the you know i guess the uh somebody in the field of big wave surfing that was familiar with the the territory and could kind of dive into some of the questions a little bit deeper as far as you know like board equipment or whatever so i thought it was a cool idea and at the time you know i'd already been kind of thinking of doing my own podcast just because a lot of times you know when i go on these trips to or or wherever you know, I get to meet these really cool people that have like very inspiring stories, um, and so it was just like this, this, this perfect opportunity, right? I didn't need to get the platform. It was just like, why don't you just come on, use our platform? Uh, you just need a pair of headphones and a laptop, and you know, from there, I've, I've, you know, I've already gotten to do like two or three with you know some of my friends and heroes. I just did one with my friend Antonio Silva uh he's a big wave charger out of Portugal and then Ryan Levinson who's a friend of mine who's who, who you know is like one of the original uh, rescue watercraft drivers for the WSL uh, Steve Rice another big wave charger from South Africa who's a friend of mine and so it's I don't know it's, it's a lot of fun to just to uh I don't know I mean as, as you know podcasting's fun it's like you get a learn about somebody else and you get to create this piece of content that other people can listen to. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm really enjoying it, to be honest. I think it's a, I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> and just coming it's, from somebody I love, I love listening to podcasts myself. So it's cool to 100%. be on the opposite end now. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. Who, who are some of your, uh, your, I guess, favorite interviewers? And we can, uh, we can even go, go across podcasts, you know, maybe uh, public radio, maybe uh, you not. Know, I, I enjoy um uh, Charlie Rose, you know. Oh, nice.
0: Char- Charlie Rose.
1: Yeah, you I familiar? I, I don't
0: know if I know Charlie Rose, no.
1: Oh, bro, he's, he's the OG. Check him out. Top- yeah, he started on the, in the 90s on PBS. Okay. Yeah, check him out.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, you know, I, I started out listening to, like, Joe Rogan, and, you know, I know it's been kind of controversial over time, but oh, I, I really like I love him. I like, the fa- I like the fact that he's just – he plays the – he plays a neutral role right and so you you as the listener get to learn a lot because he's just instead of him being like yeah I know what you're talking you know it's like he plays it like he's super dumb and so then you're able to conceptualize something from like a physicist or a PhD student to where you're like oh wow that makes sense instead of them talking you know so I really like him I mean that's kind of been the big one Jocko Willink ex-Navy SEAL. I listen to his podcast a little bit, but yeah, it's been, yeah. Podcasts are cool, man.
1: Yeah. Well, you're, you're going to crush it on a classic. I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts. You, you do a great job. And uh, let, let's you, just shout, shout out a classic for a it. second. Uh, the, the first time I heard about a classic, I was doing research on, uh, uh, did you hear the one with Dougal Patterson from, um, uh, he's a big wave surfer out of South Africa, Dungeons. Okay. Anyway, shouts out to Dougal. I've had him on the show twice, and so I'm listening to Dan talk to him, and I'm like, a classic, what a cool name, because like, we're Americans, and like, you 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 know lots of Australians, I'm sure, and like, the way the way they set things up is so funny, like, so a classic is such a classic thing to say in Australia, so shouts out, big up, and uh, Dan, respect, um, and thanks, Dan. Yeah, dude, so like, last question here for you, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life?
0: Oh man, I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> I think, I think for me, the meaning of life is just experience it, you know, and just experience all the the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, you know, all of it. Um, And I think that's been the big <clears throat> allure with riding big waves, you know, and, and just, is just like experiencing, you know, like what, what is, what is that like, you know, and then now transitioning into like, what is it like to to host a podcast? Uh, so I, I think, I mean, that, that's not all of it. Obviously there's a lot, there's a lot to life. There's, you know, enjoying your friends and family, um, <clears throat> having some sort of purpose, I think is a big part of the meaning of life, you know, like living purposefully, you know, whatever that may be, I'm still trying to figure it out. I mean, I dabble in a million different things, you know, I'm, I'm down dabbling in being a lifeguard, being a coach, a mentor to kids, a big wave surfer. I'm just trying to figure out like, I don't know, like, what? yeah, I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out the meaning of life, you know, but I do think having some sort of, you know, purpose, I think a, a big purpose of mine is is riding big waves. But then now I'm finding purpose in teaching kids and teaching people how to stay safe in the ocean. You know, that's like taking my passion and then trying to take it a step beyond and like get other people to conceptualize these things and, and also just get people to like experience that, you know, like, I mean, one of my big goals would be to have one of my clients or one of the kids I'm coaching to like experience big waves and maybe they love it. Maybe they don't love it, but like what, what is that experience like, you know? (laughs) So I think just experiencing life, man, and, and and enjoying it, you know, And, and just like trying to, trying to, you know, sip it all up. It goes by fast, right?
1: It does. It does. <laughs> it's a flash of light in a pan. Uh, j- Jack A. Yeah. Crop, dude, you you uh you've you've crushed it. And before I let you go, I I got can I get one more in? Can I get you got one more? Yeah, no, okay no, bro. Got one more, bro. All and right, I just like, wanted
0: to say before we end, thank you so much for having me on here. This has been a it's been a blessing. And uh, yeah, no, it's a great. I I always feel great. Out podcasts are just fun. You just get a. Talk to somebody interesting, and, you know, it's cool. Yeah. So you you have to it. do it again? <laughs> yeah, dude, one
1: hundred percent. Um, you you're a man of the ocean. You love the ocean, wave wave gardens, wave pools. They're huge now. Uh, what's your take on um the artificial wave?
0: I think it's awesome, man. I mean, I mean, I don't I don't know how how sustainable they are. Like, I would say that would be the only downside is if they, you know, if you if it becomes an issue on the environment. But that being said, I went to Waco recently with this organization, high fives and uh man wave pools are the shit.
1: <laughs>
0: how, how, how was that? Session instead, for you? Of, it's, instead of going on, instead of going on a surf trip and like maybe getting, maybe scoring, maybe not scoring. It's like, you go to Waco and you know that you're going to score. And that session was amazing. I mean, the wave was a lot better than I thought it would be. You know, you look at it on videos, you're like, Oh, it's pretty cool. And then you get there and you see the first one come through and you're like holy shit we had like a 12 hour private session so it was just i think i surfed like 11 hours and 45 minutes of that just <laughs> till i couldn't move anymore and it's just the same way over and over just it yeah it's amazing I, I really think i i think it's probably the future of surfing because now it's going to allow you know a kid from freaking texas to potentially make it on the wsl who may not have had you know the experience to go on a surf trip. You know, you didn't have the the resources or whatever to go somewhere else. So I think yeah, it's amazing.
1: Gonna blow this blow the whole thing up. Yeah. yeah the, <laughs> I the, I that's I mean maybe we'll see. But from what I've heard, like a lot of people are like, oh the the beach though is still the place to go. So Mother yeah, Nature, totally. yep. yeah, you gotta get that taste. But you gotta go, you got something to go do. And um Jack Acrop, I can't thank you enough again for joining us. No, thank you, man. Yeah, bro. And I wish you uh, the best of luck today. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you again.
0: Sounds good, brother. All right, dude. Have oh, a great, great, day. great day,
1: man. Thanks so much. All right. Peace out, everybody. Oh, like, follow, and uh, hit up a classic. Hit up Jack. Uh, I'm going to put the stuff in the, in the comments below. And with that said, peace out. Thank you, brother. Later, dude. Have a great one, man. You too.